Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast. It's been a little quiet around here for October, so we're very happy to have an episode on a topic that we haven't had the chance to really cover yet on the podcast. I have with me today my colleague Mande Muyangwa, who is the director of the Africa program at the Wilson Center. Mande, welcome finally to the Need to Know podcast. Thank you so much, Aaron. I'm delighted to be here. I know we've been trying to get a to get together for a while. So fantastic to finally be here. Very happy to, to do it. This is a, a topic area since we have a lot of congressional staffers who listen to the podcast that we, that we know about. Uh, Africa is one of those areas, as far as U.S. foreign policy goes, that, you know, sometimes it, it, when, it, when it rises to the top, it rises to the top. But then other times it just kind of falls below the surface of other issue areas. Let's start off by what what issues are you looking at in the Africa program and that you're really covering? Sure. So the Africa program focuses on three main uh, objectives. Our first one is really to uh, identify, address key issues of uh, importance to Africa and to U.S.-Africa relations. And we look not just at... Um, issues of the day, but we try and take a long-term perspective and look at uh, emerging issues, issues that are going to be important to the continent and to the United States, uh, you know, over the horizon. So that's uh, one part of what, what, what we try to do. The second issue is we try to work on um, developing policy options for mutually beneficial U.S.-Africa relations. As you rightly pointed out, Africa hasn't always risen uh, to the top in terms of uh, U.S.-Africa relations. And often when it does, it does so because of um, a problem or a challenge rather than uh, some of the opportunities that exist uh, on the, the continent. So we try and figure out how we can uh, raise issues, research issues, analyze issues that enable us to uh, develop these policy options uh, that would lead us to uh, more mutually beneficial relations. And then the third um, part of what we do is we try to increase the knowledge about Africa in the United States more broadly. I think it's one of the least known um, continents or regions of the world in this country. And quite often what is known about Africa is dominated by negative stereotypes of the continent. And so we try to unpack and bring China a light, if you will, uh, on the complex continent, on a more nuanced perspective on what the continent is and what it has to offer. And we do that by looking at four main areas. We look at uh, issues to do with conflict prevention and peace building is our first pillar. Uh, our second pillar looks at governance, uh, sorry, leadership and good governance in Africa. The third pillar looks at economic trade and investment on the African continent. And then finally, uh, we look at Africa's evolving role in the global arena. Uh, I think for too uh, many people, Africa is stuck in the 50s or 60s, uh, but it is a continent that's transforming in really interesting ways, some good, some bad, but transforming nonetheless. So we try and shine a spotlight on that and what it means for the world. 
Well, and that that gets us to really the topic that I wanted to talk to you about is this emergence of Africa on the global stage and the perceptions that particularly the West seems to have about Africa and those negative stereotypes. Uh, when we when we think about this pandemic that we're all currently living through, we saw stories back in the spring about oh my gosh, that when by the time that this hits Africa, it's going to be so horrible. And really, if you compare many African countries to how the United States has dealt with this, they're faring much better when it comes to dealing with COVID-19. So how has it really turned out on the African continent with dealing with this virus? Yeah, no, that's a really good and important question. I think we all recall um, earlier this year when the pandemic uh, first hit that the stories about uh, Africa were really about how catastrophic and devastating this was going to be um, for the continent. For example, the United Nations predicted that up to 3.3 million uh, people would die in Africa by June 2020 if no interventions were put in place. But beyond that, uh, there were even more catastrophic uh, projections about what would happen on the African continent. Now, as of October uh, 26, Africa has uh, accounted or has recorded uh, a little over 1,700,000 uh, infections, uh, 41,451 deaths, and um, about 1.4 million recoveries. So this is nowhere near the the numbers that had been projected. Uh, Of course, 41,000 people losing their lives uh, is not um, something to, um, is is of concern and uh, something that we shouldn't minimize, but it it truly is nowhere near the numbers that had been projected uh, for uh, Africa. Now these projections, Some of them were based on uh, genuine concerns about the prevailing situation on the continent. I think everybody was worried about the weak health systems and the ability of those weak health systems to to withstand a full-on pandemic. Um, There was uh, concern about uh, the numbers of healthcare workers and personnel, uh, the lack of availability of PPE across the the continent, uh, the fact that uh, close to 53 million people live in um, informal settlements, so what uh, most Americans would generally consider slums. And so uh, implementing uh, COVID mitigation measures in those uh, situations in the slums or in the refugee camps would be very difficult. You cannot social distance, um, you you know, in, in those conditions. Availability of water, availability of things like electricity, uh, uh, just very, very uh, difficult. So the implementation of those COVID prevention and mitigation measures were going to be very, very difficult for millions of people across the continent. So there was genuine concern about that. But I think if we were to be honest, uh, some of this concern, some of these projections from my perspectives were, were really rooted in this stubborn refusal to see anything positive coming out of Africa. Uh, And so you have people who uh, still think of Africa as this, the the dark continent, nothing works. The governments are corrupt. They're going to steal all the COVID monies. Um, You know, so those uh, projections were informed by both uh, real concerns, but also this, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, racism uh, that still underpins 
how we think about the continent or how many, how many people think about the continent. So that was always um, going to be um, uh, a challenge. But I think, you know, the numbers that I just quoted to you, the 41,000 uh, deaths, uh, the 1.4 million uh, recoveries, and uh, the 1.7 million infections. I do think African countries need to be given uh, credit for how quickly they reacted to, to COVID. Uh, for, for instance, before the first case had even been, um, had even been diagnosed on the continent in, in February, the African Union and its, uh, its health uh, component, the African Centers for Disease Control, moved very quickly. Uh, you know, they convened a meeting of uh, ministers. They developed a strategy, a continental strategy for, for managing uh, COVID. Uh, they convened all the ministers uh, to talk through how the continent was going to handle this, the infrastructure that would be necessary at um, the continental, the regional, and the national levels in order for Africa to stay on top of this. The reporting requirements and obligations that different countries had the training that uh, the African Centers for Disease Control and the World Health Organization would put in place uh, to educate healthcare workers at the policy level, at the technical level, in order to, to manage this. So we do have to give them credit for that, that they learned from the Ebola crisis in 2014 and 15 and leveraged that knowledge as well as the infrastructure to be better prepared uh, for, uh, for, for COVID-19. And so... We, we really have to, it's not just by happenstance that the numbers are, are, are low. I think Africans were proactive, uh, the leadership was there, and so that has helped um, a great deal in terms of the numbers that we are seeing uh, on the continent uh, today. When I think of those numbers that you're, you're giving us with 1.7 million infections and 41,000 deaths is really phenomenal compared to the expectations. Uh, but also, this is a continent of 54 countries needing to function together. Um, so you mentioned the African Union. You mentioned uh, this sort of pan-African response. Are there any particular examples on the continent of countries that you think uh, did particularly well? What best practices or what did you see out of some of those leaders uh, that could be particularly emulated? Before I get there, let me just caveat those numbers that we just talked about. Certainly the numbers are not as, uh, as had originally been uh, projected. Uh, at the same time, though, we do have to note that there has been the testing on the African continent has not been as robust. Uh, and so it's very difficult to tell what the, the true numbers are. Uh, I think as of August, at the end of August 2020, uh, only 11 million people had been uh, tested on the African continent. That was the equivalent of about uh, where New York was as a state in terms of testing. So there, there are definitely um, concerns there. There are data ga gaps uh, as well uh, that we, we need to uh, take to factor into our considerations. There's also the fact that uh, different countries use different strategies. Um, there are those who test and record, who test only those who present. Uh, with symptoms. Uh, other countries are doing random testing. Um, and so it is very difficult to, to get a true sense of, of, of the numbers. 
nonetheless, when you look at the, the deaths, uh, the total number of deaths, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said there. So it's important that we caveat that, uh, that testing on the continent needs to improve, um, that we need more reporting. Uh, for, for instance, this past week, uh, the, the 11 countries that are showing the highest increase that account for 86% of the increase in COVID cases also overlap with the countries that are doing the most testing. And, and so we, we absolutely need to understand that there is that correlation. There's some gaps in terms of the reporting. Uh, there are some countries that are not reporting as often, as regularly as other countries have been right from the get-go. So that's that um, caveat there, I think, which is important to note. I think Going back to your question about uh, some the, the countries that are doing well, I am not um, a health professional, but I think just looking across the continent and I, I see lessons learned and best practices that I think we can draw from different um, country experiences. Uh, for instance, let me just talk about some of the uh, innovation uh, that has come out of uh, co the COVID crisis in Africa that we often don't talk about. Uh, for example, we've had, uh, and I think this goes back to the issue of, uh, you know, necessity being the mother of uh, all inventions. And I think Africans, especially young Africans, jumped onto this that they had to do uh, something. So we have seen uh, a young boy in Kenya, a nine-year-old boy in Kenya, for example, invents this wooden hand-washing machine uh, that can be used. And this is not to be underestimated on a continent where sometimes water isn't as readily available in all the places that you need it to be. And so just uh, having these uh, easy-to-produce machine, uh, wooden hand-washing machine that you can place in strategic, strategically in communities and other places has, has really worked, has really helped. You have the young Nigerian engineering student who uh, produced a basic portable ventilator. Um, you have an engineering, stu uh, engineering student in Senegal who've uh, invented a multifunctional medical robot to help the caseload, reduce the caseload on medical care workers. Rwanda has transitioned to using medical robots uh, in the administration of various uh, COVID mitigation measures in part to minimize the workload on their healthcare system, but also to uh, minimize the exposure of their work, healthcare workers uh, to COVID-19. Uh, you also have a South African company that's doing 3D printing um, of, uh, of, of masks to uh, distribute across the, the countries. And then uh, the COVID clinical trials for vaccine that are ongoing in South Africa and in Senegal and other places. So there's been a lot of invention um, around this that I think is, is, is really useful and bodes well for the continent. Or even Rwanda and Ghana using drones to deliver medical supplies and test results and all of that uh, kind of thing. So I think what you have here is um, innovation around the continent, some best practices that we also have that I think we can leverage to address future pandemics. Uh, for example, Rwanda uh, took on measures to deliver food to its communities because it knew that uh, people couldn't travel to minimize uh, the people traveling. 
And so it would deliver food to the communities and therefore minimize uh, the, the exposure. Uh, Rwanda also went digital, as did um, Ghana and a few other places like cashless economies. And so there's a lot that has gone on there uh, that I think we could tap into, both in terms of sharing lessons for the current uh, pandemic, but also leveraging that uh, for uh, to address future pandemics, but also to restart African economies uh, that have been negatively impacted by the pandemic. I want to go back to one of the assumptions that you mentioned that the West seems to have about Africa is really regarding corrupt regimes, uh, corrupt leadership and governments. Um, so th there was an assumption that one of the reasons why is that they would not be able to handle a full scale outbreak of this virus is because these authoritarian or corrupt regimes would not particularly handle it well. They would, you know, confiscate funds and, and resources. How is that played out on the continent? Uh, too often for many in the world, uh, the face of both authoritarianism and corruption is African, but that is just wrong and not fair uh, in the sense that uh, both of those are global problems. We have seen a recession of uh, democracy across the world over the last um, a few years. Um, we have also seen um, corruption uh, across the world uh, in, in, in many ways. In fact, when you look at uh, the Transparency International ranking for 2019, you have four African countries that are in the top 20, uh, sorry, in the top 50 on the corruption uh, index. Those are Seychelles at 27, Botswana at 34, Cape Verde at 41. Um, the U.S. by comparison ranks at 23. So again, collapsing the entire African continent as this place that's just full of corruption, I think just does a huge disservice to Africa, but also to the rest of the world in terms of understanding the continent and how best uh, to, interact to, to interact with it. We also have a cluster of other African countries who are in the top 70 of that um, corruption perceptions uh, index. So I think that's, uh, that's the, the first uh, point I, I would make about that. That's not to say, uh, and again, this is where we, we, we do need to uh, disaggregate and uh, discuss these issues honestly, uh, that there are concerns. Uh, there have been some African um, governments who have, under, have used COVID to restrict democracy. There's no question about that. Uh, I am especially concerned about uh, the 22 African countries uh, that were set to go to, to hold elections this year. In some of those countries that haven't held the elections yet, what we are seeing is governments that are deliberately curbing uh, media freedoms. Uh, they're deliberately curbing the opportunities for civil society to organize for opposition parties to do what they need to do under the guise of COVID uh, mitigation. And that is simply not right because we see that in some of these countries, uh, leaders are trying to create an unlevel playing field on the democratic front uh, to extend their own stay in government. And so yes, COVID-19 has been abused by some African uh, governments on that front. The second issue that I would raise on the governance front is that in many African countries, Security forces have been used to um, 
to to oversee the um, lockdown measures, the quarantine uh, measures. And what that has done is that we have seen a heavy-handed response of the security forces in terms of their uh, enforcing these COVID measures. Uh, you know, you go on online anytime, there are videos from so many African countries of security forces abusing citizens uh, for breaking curfew, for breaking um, uh, the, the lockdowns. What this has done, increase the distrust between citizens and their governments. And honestly, I would say that these governments need to ask themselves whether security forces are the best uh, to enforce COVID measures, public health uh, measures, uh, because it's creating um, a tension in civil military relations. It's worsening those civil military relations. It's increasing distrust uh, between citizens and um, and, and, their, and, and their governments. I think those are just two dimensions that I would raise uh, on, the, on, the, on the governance front, that there are definitely some issues there that a number of African countries, not all of them, uh, but certainly a number of African countries uh, need to look into. And finally, just quickly, uh, you know, you've mentioned the positives. Yes, there's some negatives, but as you mentioned, there's negatives all over the world. So we shouldn't just uh, really put that through, uh, the way that we look at Africa. Um, but you know, I do think it's shown that Africa does have this ability through the African union to really come together, uh, to come up with a comprehensive response. And they have done well so far. You mentioned some challenges with testing. Maybe it's too soon to do this, but looking out onto the horizon, do you see that, that how this working together as a continent and really challenging the assumptions that people have about Africa, how is that going to play in the post-COVID world? Sure. No, I think that's a really another really good um, question. I think I'd answer it from two perspectives. I think many Africans, uh, the uh, younger generation in, in, in particular, have a, a strong belief in the continent and what it can do for itself. Sometimes their uh, government fails them, but there is this strong uh, sense of self-belief in, in being African. And I think what COVID has done on the one hand is to um, strengthen Africa's confidence, boost Africa's confidence in itself in terms of what it can do for itself. Um, and we see this, uh, you know, as I have mentioned, working across uh, a number of areas um, that we have seen uh, Africa address this uh, crisis uh, to or manage this crisis to some extent, manage it well in some countries. Uh, and that is a strong uh, boost of confidence. We have seen Africa um, I think what COVID is going to do is propel Africa or help Africa fast track the digitization of its economies. Uh, that's something that they were already doing, but I think COVID has given them uh, an impetus to do that even uh, more quickly than they had uh, anticipated. Uh, we have seen uh, COVID impact so many different sectors uh, negatively, but also we see African governments transitioning to online uh, education in some sectors that has yet to fully take hold, but that's a good start. Again, another area in which um, uh, you know, African governments can piggyback that and by going to online education, perhaps provide even more access 
to people who wouldn't otherwise have access to education. So there are definitely uh, some, some, some positives there. We have also seen African countries repurpose their manufacturing capacities uh, to produce PPE. And that's important on a number of levels. Uh, for too long, I think many Africans were much more comfortable uh, importing things because they believed they were of a better quality than African produced things. And what this has done, you know, they have they are producing their own uh, PPE, and obviously that's going to increase the level of confidence in what Africa can uh, can pro- produce. So that repurposing. Uh, you know, boosting the manufacturing industry can also lead to Africa increasing a share of the global economy, which is going to be really, really uh, important because Africa still only accounts for like 3% of global trade. So I think that's one uh, aspect of it, the positives. How do we build on the positives? How do we leverage the infrastructure, the cooperation and collaboration that has been realized through COVID uh, to advance the continent? But there are also negatives that have been exposed by by COVID-19. More African people are going to, uh, millions more Africans are going to fall into into poverty. Already, we have over 100 million people who are food insecure as a result of COVID-19. So putting in place those social uh, protections uh, for marginalized and vulnerable people is going to be absolutely key. Putting in economic recovery um, uh, programs uh, for the continent is going to be absolutely uh, key. We already have all close to 20 African countries that we're on the precipice of debt. And that has only been uh, further, that economic situation has been exacerbated by COVID. So those economic recovery strategies are going to be really, really uh, important. And many African countries are doing the need for. But let me conclude with this. I think to some extent, uh, Africa's belief in itself has uh, increased during this COVID period. Uh, We see that there are challenges and people who are trying to abuse certain elements of the COVID response. But the larger issue in terms of Africa's role in the global arena is that I hope the international community and the West in particular is going to step back and actually look at the ways in which Africa has um, outperformed certain countries globally, outperformed those expectations, rethink how we look at Africa so that we're not always focusing on the challenges that the continent uh, projects or has, but we are also looking at the opportunities and also what we can learn from the African continent. Well, certainly having a clear-eyed view of the challenges, but accentuating the positives that there are on the continent is is a very interesting take. And I think it challenges so many of the assumptions that people have about Africa. So I hope we'll get to, to chat some more. I know we, we've had a couple of topics that we, but we still would like to have conversations with you, but I think that's all the time we have for today. So Monday Muyangwa of the Wilson Center's Africa program, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Really appreciate the opportunity.